God's Son. Uh, we could sing uh, the songs as we were singing, um, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. I had to stop singing. It was too much. Um, we wish we had a thousand tongues to sing our Savior's praise, and one day we won't be limited with these earthly bodies to sing our Savior's praise. It is a mystery why he would leave heaven to come to earth and God's redemption plan unfold on the cross, so rich. So, if you were to look at this picture without the words in front of it, what would come to your mind? I didn't choose this picture, someone else chose this for me. If you were in a room that looked like this, what would you be thinking? Okay. Okay, kind of looks like a cave or a, a place uh, going to the underworld. It looks cold, I heard. You would want, if you were in this kind of room, you would want some heat. And when, when you are faced with uncomfortable situations, we often want, the, what we can think about most is comfort. If you're hungry right now, you're uncomfortable, and you hope that I don't preach very long, because what will comfort you is food. And there are many ways to be uncomfortable in life, and we're going to see in 2 Corinthians 1 through 11, the word comfort is mentioned 10 times in verses 3 to, 3 to 7, okay? And then there are a few other words, affliction and suffering, that we're going to look at. And this book is different than 1 Corinthians, where Paul was giving a lot of rebuke to the Corinthians because they needed rebuke, because they were acting like children, they were carnal, they needed a lot of correction, they needed a lot of instruction on how to worship together, how to get together. And, uh, but what uh, they need now in this second book that's written within a year of the first book, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is written uh, within a year of that. Uh, he's not going to correct a lot of, um, a lot of their uh, practices. What he's going to do is encourage them to join him in ministry. And the ministry that Paul uh, has, that Timothy has, that we saw at the very end of, of the first book, is a ministry that he's encouraging the Corinthians to join him on this ministry. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have a ministry. And not just people standing up here have a ministry or people that are teaching in a classroom or people that uh, travel around and talk to, talk, to, talk to people. Everyone, every Christian has a ministry. And uh, we saw at the very end of the last book that uh, Christians are to abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because Christ is alive and we are victorious and we have nothing to fear. He brings up the idea of death here and how it feels like he has the sentence of death and we just read it, but he is going to uh, have to, in 2 Corinthians, um, encourage the Corinthians to join him in ministry, and if you were to be trained for ministry, this would be an excellent book to, to read, and how to minister to other people, how to abound in the work of the Lord, what are some specific ways to think and talk and live like so that you can 
minister effectively for Christ. Well, why do you think he starts with suffering? The first book in the Old Testament written, Job. We know that as a book of suffering. The first book in the New Testament written, James. He starts, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why does God start Old and New Testament chronologically with suffering? And when Paul, the Apostle Paul, trusts Christ as his Savior and he's still blind, Ananias comes to him, and what, what God the Holy Spirit tells Ananias to say to Paul is, tell Paul how much he's going to suffer for my name. So there is an element of suffering for believers. Every believer is called to suffer. You say, wait a minute. I thought whenever we we trust Christ as our Savior, that there's no more pain. That's what the word suffering is, pain. You'll see the word affliction, that's pressure. I thought there was no pressure or pain after you trust Christ. Or when you're in the ministry and you are serving the Lord and you're speaking for the Lord, you're abounding in His work, There is no affliction or suffering. Well, Paul is not going to uh, give these uh, Corinthians uh, a a picture of ministry that's not accurate. What he's going to tell them is, you're a follower of Christ. You want to abound in the work of the Lord. You better be prepared to suffer. And some of us are like, nope, not me. I, I don't want to suffer. And instead of suffering, some of us just keep our mouths shut and don't want to abound in the work of the Lord. We'll let other people talk. We'll let other people minister. We'll let other people evangelize. We'll let other people pray. We'll let other people read and study the hard passages of Scripture and let them suffer. And we'll just learn from them. We'll just be around them. We'll come here to church and feel comfortable in our pew in a, in a nice, warm environment. And we do not want to suffer. Well, there are Christians that, with suffering, they said, I I don't want to suffer. And they stopped following Christ, or they stopped telling people about Christ. And Paul is going to encourage us in ministry that there is a lot of comfort in suffering. Verse 1, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is similar to this first book, except the second book, the apostleship of Paul is going to be attacked later, and we'll see that. So he defends his apostleship, and Paul doesn't choose to be an apostle. An apostle is a sent one, a messenger speaking on behalf of someone else. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he is sent by Christ. He's speaking of Christ. Who chose to be an apostle? Who chose Paul to be an apostle? Well, he says in the first verse here, by the will of God. It doesn't say by my own will. I chose myself to be an apostle, and Paul's patting himself on the back. Look at me, I'm a good apostle, you better listen to me. No, and he is going to write things in this book that's going to challenge people uh, to uh, believe what he's saying because he's not speaking on his own authority. He is speaking of Jesus Christ, and God the Father chose him. And now, verse 1 continues, and Timothy, our brother, Sosthenes was mentioned in 1 Corinthians as probably a co-author or helped Paul uh, write, deliver uh, 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, though, remember Timothy was mentioned at the end of 1 Corinthians, and Timothy was sent to the Corinthians, and it's likely uh, that he is sent with a letter. And so as uh, Paul sends Timothy 
with this letter. Uh, the Corinthians realize that Paul and Timothy ha- are doing the Lord's work, and they, are, they need to learn from this second letter. Who is this letter written to? Verse 1 continues, To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Achaia is the province, the southern part of what's now modern Greece. And so Athens would probably be in this uh, section. You'll see the section of Macedonia, which is north of Achaia. And Greece on the map looks like a hand that's upside down, facing downward. Um, And so Corinth is not the only recipient of this letter. It's all the other saints that are around. Um, And as the Corinthians would read this letter, they would pass it on to other churches that were in this region, similar to Galatia, which was a region. And Galatians is written uh, to a region of people of Christians, and so this book was written to the church at Corinth and uh, the rest of the believers in Achaia. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins and ends his book with this, this way, grace always precedes peace. You cannot have God's peace without God's grace first, and God's grace is his power uh, to Uh, forgive and the power to save from ourselves and from our sin. Why do we need 2 Corinthians? Well, we all need to focus on God as we suffer while ministering for Christ. If you were in a very cold room like this, and you were stuck here, you would have to do something to get your mind off of how cold it was. You would have to focus on talking, if you were there with someone else, telling stories, and you hear people that are stranded on in places like this, or they're waiting to get rescued, and they have to take their mind off of their uncomfortable circumstances so that they can survive. And in ministry, uh, ministry at many times in a hostile world is uncomfortable. And so Paul's writing to these Corinthians because in Acts uh, chapter 18, Paul was protected from suffering physically, but Corinth was a hostile place for Christians as in most cities uh, were, and actually most cities are today in our country, a hostile place for Christians. And if you were to talk to pastors like I did in uh, January from other parts of our country, they feel bad for Christians in the Northeast, especially New England. Why? Because they watch the news and they're thinking politics. And politics is, well, those are really... um, or liberal people, or really blue, or whatever else they say, and there's just so few churches here, and uh, very few people go to church if they are uh, here, and uh, not like the South, where everybody is related to um, a pastor, and they all, they all go to church, and there are more churches in the South than there are Dunkin' Donuts in the Northeast, all right? That's just how it is. But you know what? We will suffer all Christians will suffer for Christ and will be persecuted, will suffer. Even if it's people mocking us, whenever we do what God wants us to do, we will suffer. And so we need to learn how to suffer well. That's why we have this passage of Scripture. And as we suffer, we need to focus on our God. If we were stuck in this room that looked like this, we would have to focus on God. What would help us focus on God? If we were, if this room looked like this and we were all stuck here waiting to get rescued, if we did get rescued, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be singing. We'd be praying. We'd be quoting scripture. 
we'd be doing our best to not think about how uncomfortable we were at the present moment. And if we couldn't do anything else to rescue ourselves, we would be focused on God. And in uncomfortable situations, those are the times that we realize that we need God more than ever. We need his grace and we need his peace. Verse 3. He starts in, that was the introduction, the greeting of the book, um, verses 1 and 2. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. The theme of our message today from this passage is our Savior and other believers helped us focus while we endure suffering, and that helping us focus is our comfort, okay? helping us focus while we endure suffering. Our Savior knows what it's like to suffer. He suffered from the worst of sinners. He was surrounded by sinners. And he was mocked and ridiculed and beaten and his beard torn out by sinners. Sinners that hated him. Sinners that just wanted him to perform a miracle just so they could be entertained like Herod the king. And then sinners that were really confused, like Pilate, and just tried to wash his hands of Jesus and say, I'm I'm innocent of the blood of this man. But Jesus was surrounded by sinners at his death, his life, and then very specifically his death on a cross. Who was on either side of him on other crosses? The worst of sinners. And they, for a while, railed on him as well. And people at the foot of the cross that said, if you are the Son of God, come down and then we'll believe you. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. The night before that, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was so in such agony of soul that he was sweating great drops of blood. And he told his disciples, can't you stay awake and pray with me? And they couldn't stay awake and they fell asleep and he suffered alone. Our Savior knows what it's like to suffer He knows what it's like because on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. You know, all of our suffering is a result of our sin and other people's sinning against us. But all of the sin of all of humanity was placed on Jesus while he's on the cross. And it became dark from noon to three o'clock. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it appeared that God the Father turned his back on his son because the son became sin for us. And he bore God's wrath. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. We know what it's like to suffer with a few people around us that are sinners, but to have all of the sin of the whole world on us, we have no idea what that's like, other than it's way worse than what any of us would ever suffer. And God encourages us through this passage of Scripture that your Savior knows what it's like to suffer. He also knows what it's like to be comforted. Other believers around us know what it's like to suffer for the ministry while ministering. And they're enduring suffering. You can read uh, Hebrews 11, other faithful people in Scripture that endured suffering. And now they're in heaven rejoicing. And it's our time to endure suffering by faith. So when you are suffering, we need to focus on sharing. We looked at verses 1 and 2. The Father and the Son are sharing their grace and their peace. 
In particular, though, what does grace and peace look like? Grace and peace looks like comfort. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So where's the focus here in uh, this section? Verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the focus on God. And what of God's character is brought out here in verse 3 for us to see? He is the Father of mercies. You know what that word mercies means? What are you saying about it? Compassion. You know who needs compassion? If you're stuck in a room that looks like this, you need someone who's going to be compassionate enough to rescue you, show you the way out, bring you warm blankets, keep your mind off of how cold you are, and give you the comfort that you need. And God the Father is a God of compassion. And it says here, another uh, title here for God, he is the God of all comfort. All kinds of comfort. You know where this word comfort is mentioned in John 14? Same word used for the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. The one who is called alongside to help. And you know what Ukraine wants right now? They want the world to come alongside them and help. Whenever you and I need comfort, we don't want someone just to say, all right, I'll just pray for you. If you're their neighbor, they're in our church, they're, they're in your family, there's someone that's close to you, they want you to be there. They want you to be present if possible. They want you to be near them. And this is the word that's mentioned comfort 10 times here from verses 3 to 7. This is the theme of our message because it's the theme of the passage. God comes alongside us to help us. And that's this, he is the God of all comfort. So what does the God of all comfort do? Verse 4, who comforts us, he comes alongside and helps us, in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Well, that's a, that's a mouthful in that verse. All right, so let's, let's uh, split it apart here and take it phrase by phrase. God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Affliction is the word for pressure, tribulation, trouble. All right, and this is different than suffering. Suffering is pain. Affliction here is pressure. If you, let's go back to two years ago, and we were getting news that there was a virus going around, and it might be dangerous and deadly, and so we got to start shutting things down. That was two years ago in March. That was pressure for everyone on the, on the planet. We did not have church in person. We tried to get online, and we realized that things were not normal. There was pressure all around us. Okay, So that's, one, that's the idea of affliction here, is this idea of pressure. There's trouble, there's tribulation, we don't want to get sick, we don't other, want other people to get sick. That's the affliction here. And there's all kinds of affliction. There's all kinds of pressure. You could have social pressure, a pressure to conform, a, a pressure to vote for a certain candidate or take a certain side of an issue. There's the pressure uh, that you have to feel like, 
I've got to get married to this person, or I've got to get a divorce from this person, or I've got to provide for this person, or I feel pressure to... And there's all kinds of pressure. It could be social. It could be physical pressure. You could have physical uh, problem internally that you say, there's some pressure in my body. It doesn't, something's not right, okay? That is the word affliction, And how much of affliction does the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion or mercies, how much of our affliction is he able to help? Look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all. All our affliction. All of the pressure. Any pressure that someone can put on you from outside, the culture can put on you, you, you can put on you, the people that you live with can put on you, Uh, circumstances can put on you, any type of pressure that can be put on a person. The God of all comfort and the Father of mercies can help. He can come alongside and help. So this speaks to the sufficiency of God's comfort to comfort us and then to comfort other people through us. So the reason of God's comfort is found in verse 4. So God comforts us in all of our affliction. He's the God of all comfort. Verse 4, why does he do this? Well, we see this so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So what kind of help do we give people? If we have, can get help from all our affliction, what does it say in verse 4? That we can comfort those who are in any affliction. So we have comfort from God in all of our affliction, and we have a sufficient God who is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, and He comforts us so that we can, this is ministry here, so that we can then comfort other people in any of their affliction. That all and any means that God is sufficient. God knows how to comfort you. He knows how to come alongside and help any person in any affliction. In fact, all affliction. Whatever you can face is pressuring your life, causing you to meditate on that pressure day and night. God can come alongside and will. And this speaks to the sufficiency of God's comfort to us and through us. Let's keep reading in verse 5. If the pressure is great, then we, want, we, we definitely want relief. We want comfort. So we give comfort to those in, in any affliction, the middle of verse 4, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when God, whenever, let's give us an example. When you watch the news, you want people watch the news, what you hear about? Russia and Ukraine. Driving now and looking on social media, you're seeing people that have blue and yellow flag. I saw it on the way here this morning. And people are trying to stand with Ukraine against Russia. That's the, that's the popular position right now. Okay? And why are we doing that? Because they're trying to comfort. If you were in Ukraine right now, you would feel affliction. 
even if your house and city weren't being attacked, you would feel affliction because your country is being invaded. That would be the pressure. That would be the affliction. Okay? And so when you and I are afflicted like that, or you get some diagnosis from the doctor that puts pressure on your life or your schedule, or life's not going to be the same because this is wrong with your body, that puts a pressure on your life that someone else who has a similar diagnosis is going to understand. And those of us without a similar diagnosis are going to have a hard time understanding what it's like to have that kind of pressure. We don't know what it's like to lay in bed at night waiting for a siren to go off and we're going to have to go underground in a bunker. We don't know what that's like. But there are people that know what that's like right now. So they have this affliction, this is pressure that's on them. They're on edge. And you can remember what it was like when COVID became a reality two years ago. All of us were on edge because there was this unseen virus that was putting pressure on the world. Okay? So that is, and whenever we are comforted by God through that, whenever we realize that God is with us in the bunker, God is with us in our pressure. God is with us in, if we were in this room, in this cold, forsaken room. God is with us in all of our affliction. In any affliction that we can face, God is with us and he's giving us grace and peace. That's comfort. And as you are comforted, you can comfort someone else who is in a very similar situation that you are in. And that's why we as believers, that's why Paul is saying to them, I want you to be um, able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now, this is a word that means pain. So it's one thing to know that COVID is out there. It's another thing to get COVID and to be in pain. And it's hard to breathe or it's hard whatever other symptoms you had when you had COVID. So it's one thing that COVID's out there and it's pressuring us to live differently. It's another thing to have COVID in here. And now you're experiencing pain and discomfort, not from without, but from within. Okay, that's the suffering. So that's the difference between the pressure of affliction and the pain of suffering. And you'll see the word suffering here several times. Verse 5, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. How did Christ suffer? Christ suffered from the hands of sinful men, Hebrews 12 says. And we are to, why did he suffer? Because he did anything wrong? Absolutely not. He, He suffered because he did everything right. And ungodly, wicked people did not want to be in the presence of someone who did everything right. So they put pressure on him to stop speaking, to stop getting followers, to stop teaching, and he wouldn't stop. And in fact, he said, I am Jehovah. I am the God of the Old Testament. And when he said that, the Jewish people picked up stones, and they were about ready to throw them at him. So he knew what it was like to be afflicted, but he also knew what it was like to suffer. To suffer rejection, 
to suffer being alone in the garden, alone on the cross, to suffer at the hands of uh, his enemies, and then at times to suffer from the hands of his disciples who forsook him and let him get arrested alone. So there's a lot of ways to suffer, and when we are suffering, we, we focus, and this is pain now. This is, not, this is like if you are in Ukraine and there's pressure of the invasion, that's one thing, that's affliction. But whenever your house gets hit, that's pain. Or someone that you love gets hurt or injured or killed, that's pain. That's not just, the problem is out there somewhere. That means so, this is painful. Life is going to be different than what I expected when I planned. That's pain. That's suffering. So Christ, if we share in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. This passage doesn't go into a lot of details. Other passages do. Of Christ's uh, humility, uh, Philippians 2, and then God exalts him. He dies even the death of the cross, Philippians 2 says, and therefore God highly exalts him and gives him a name which is above every name. That's comfort. That happens after Christ suffers. And as we suffer in a similar way to Christ, whether it is being ridiculed or mocked or left alone or getting hit or put in prison or getting beaten or any number of other things, verbal, physical abuse, against us because we are ministering for Christ, because we won't stop talking about our wonderful Savior, it is very likely that we'll start suffering. We'll have pain in our lives. And when we have pain, we can be comforted because if we share in Christ's sufferings, abundantly in Christ's sufferings, and Paul had scars. The first time he went to Corinth, he went there with scars from getting um, stoned and left for dead. He probably had scars on his face, on his, on his back, his arms. You could see spots where Paul was hit with rocks, and it cut his skin. Okay, He had the scars on his body to show that he had suffered for Christ. So if we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God wants us to be comforted. So the sufferings or pain of Christ are his endurance of every selfish, hateful reaction to him because of his teaching and his actions. Paul and every faithful follower of Jesus suffers because of their faithfulness to the mission of Christ. If we have abundant pain because of Christ, we are sure to have abundant comfort from Christ. That's what verse 5 says. That's a wonderfully comforting verse. Here is a Christ... And it uses the word Christ, which means king. If our king suffers like this, he can come alongside us and knows what it's like to suffer. And we will share abundantly in understanding that Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, suffered like us. And we're suffering because of him, and he's going to comfort us too. We're going to know another level of Christianity that is not for carnal Christians who are fighting each other in the Corinthian church, as we saw in 1 Corinthians. No, we're going to understand um, what it is to to love and follow Christ despite this. Keep reading in verse 6. If we are afflicted, that's the pressure, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul's saying, if if I have pressure on you because I'm here in Corinth, or I'm... um, 
trying to minister to you. I want you to be comforted. I want other people around you to be saved. And if we are comforted and we tell you that we are being comforted by God and we have had affliction, now we're being comforted, why do I tell you about my comfort? It's so that you will be comforted, he says in verse 6, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer, the same pain that we have. When you and I have a, a physical weakness and we find someone else that has the same diagnosis, there is an instant connection because you suffer the same things. And you talk to people that are further down the road and say, how did you get comfort? How did you get grace and peace in the time of your suffering when it was painful? And they can give you, if they're godly, they're walking with the Lord, they'll say, God has come alongside and helped me. And here is what he's used. He's used his word, his spirit, and he's used his church. And we, as a church, aren't fighting, don't need to be fighting about who's going to stand up here, who's going to get glory, who's going to get the bigger piece, the wafer, whenever we have communion, or who's going to get more juice whenever we have communion. Or no, We're not arguing about any of that. We're just looking for ways to comfort those who are being afflicted and suffering. And when we come to church looking for, to comfort others, God can use us. And he wants to. We patient, we, they particularly share comfort while suffering. And then verses 6 and 7, we read verse uh, 6, verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. It's firmly grounded. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, in our pain, you have a similar story of pain. Because of ministry, because you're doing what's right, you will also share in our comfort. So we share in our suffering and comfort with other believers. So you can see how the Father and the Son are sharing their grace and peace with us. So that, in particular, that grace and peace looks like comfort. It looks like someone coming alongside who is with us and is never going to leave us or forsake us. And they're going to give us grace is God's power. Peace is understanding that everything is, is going to be okay. And Paul's going to tell us about a very dark time in his ministry in verses 8, um, eight and following. All right, so we share in our suffering with other believers, uh, knowing that they will suffer, they will have pain, but they will also have comfort too. Why? Because if we share with Christ, Christ gives us his comfort as well. Verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction. This is the pressure that we experience in Asia. This pressure was so intense that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You know what despair is? The absence of hope. When you are hopeless, that you think, I can't go on. I've got nothing to look forward to. You know what your thoughts turn to after that? I need to end my life. And there are Christians that consider ending their lives. There are people in the Old Testament, Elijah, um, and Jonah in particular, that wanted to end their lives prematurely because of, uh, they felt so much pressure, and there, there are others. But Paul says, when we, okay, so Asia is a different province, modern-day Turkey, and they had affliction, they had so much pressure in Asia, they're probably running for their lives 
at times that they had a hard time sleeping at night and they were so burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life itself. Verse 9, Paul's going to tell us more of what's going on internally, how this pressure is affecting him. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, like we were on death row. Like it was just a matter of time before we were going to die. If you talk to David when he was being chased by Saul's 3,000, he probably had this feeling, and he writes several psalms when he's feeling this way. Well, Paul says this, we felt like we had to receive the sentence of death, but that was to make us. Now, why does God allow Christians who are doing his work to have this kind of pressure? Why does he do this to his, his, his believers? Doesn't he love his children? Absolutely. But he loves us in, in a way that we are drawn to him. And we aren't drawn to him when things are comfortable. We are drawn to him when we have affliction and suffering. And we don't have the strength inside of us. We don't have the answers to give. We are looking then to God who is the God of all comfort, who's going to help people in any and all of their affliction. And we cannot lean on our own understanding. So Paul is going to help these Corinthians to realize, when you minister for me, be prepared to suffer. You're not alone when you suffer. You're going to understand Christ's comfort and Christ's sufferings. You're going to understand our sufferings and our comfort that comes when we have this in common. But also, here's what we did whenever we were burdened beyond our strength and we despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? You're like, there is no good solution to my problems. God allows Christians doing ministry abounding in the work of the Lord to experience incredible affliction and suffering. Why? Verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So now, why does he say rely on God who raises the dead? Because what is he despairing of? Despairing of life itself. And as he's despairing of life, and he is getting tor tortured, as at times that he was in prison, Paul and Silas and others that travel with Paul, and if you were in some of these prisons and they said, don't expect to get out of here, this is not a nice place. And how many years that Paul spent in prison and other hardships, he's going to enumerate on later in this book. But he's going to tell the Corinthians that whenever you get really, really down, and you're suffering for Christ, and you feel like you have this sentence of death, realize that God is doing this for a purpose. What is God's purpose in this? So that you would learn to not rely on yourself. That seems profound, or at the same time, simple. Of course we don't rely on ourselves. We aren't the God of all comfort. We aren't a father who is known for his compassion. We can't go and comfort everybody in all their affliction. We are not God. But we have access to God. We are his children. The leader shares his internal weakness so that others can learn to rely on God alone. Paul 
said, when I suffered like this and I felt like this, I wanted to end my life. I wanted to die. I realized that I, God was using this to rely not on myself, but on the God who raises the dead. We all need to learn to rely on our God that even if this suffering and pain ends our physical life, our God's going to raise the dead. And that takes us back to 1 Corinthians 15, that we could be victorious. And we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, even if it requires us to suffer with a lot of pressure. We learn to rely on God alone. So what does a life that looks like relying on God alone do? Well, that's where we end our passage today in verses 10 and 11. God delivered us from a deadly peril, such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, this sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Uh, God will trust God. We're not going to bow to your image, even if God... Uh, doesn't deliver us physically, he'll deliver us uh, spiritually from you and our soul will go to heaven. You can't kill, no one can kill the soul. They can make the body suffer pain, uh, but the soul they cannot have. Verse 10 continues, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There was a time when Paul went to what we think in church history, that he went to lose his head. At that point, God didn't deliver him physically, he delivered him spiritually. Paul had learned to rely on God alone as he suffered and had a lot of pain and pressure. And he's encouraging the Corinthians, and they are going to learn to suffer well and realize that God comes alongside to help them too. So when you rely on God alone, what does your life look like? Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul's going to encourage the Corinthians to pray for him. And what in particular is he asking for prayer for? So that you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf. So if you were to watch Paul and watch that he had a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and he says, you know what, God brought me through this, God helped as I relied on him, then other believers are going to thank God for how God helped Paul. So when God helps people, and you, read, you and I read stories of God's deliverance from pain and suffering, Christians, we need to give thanks to God and pray that God will be with, as he promises to be with, that the, the believers who are going through suffering will know Christ better that they will give thanks on behalf of people who are suffering well for the cause of Christ, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There are three so that's in this passage, and we're going to close with praying those three, and then we will have the Lord's table. So relying on God. Here we see a leader shares the internal weakness that he has. If you are being discipled or helping someone to walk with God, it's okay to share with them internal weaknesses that you have, that you're struggling with. The times when you feel like, I don't know if I really want to live. 
You need to have a close, godly friend here at church that you can share that with. And it's not a sign of weakness. Paul is not being weak here in sharing this. He's actually helping these people to learn to rely on God. And we need to share, at times, with discernment, our, some, our, our eternal internal weaknesses so that we can tell people how God led us to rely on Him alone. And we're encouraging others then, at the end of this passage, to rely on God with us and to give thanks to God for us and how God uh, worked uh, in us. So, changing. There's three so that's, three reasons uh, why God gives us um, these truths. And we're going to pray. I'll give you 30 seconds of silent prayer. Um, Father, help us to comfort others with your grace. And then God, help us to rely on you alone. And then Father, help us, help others to give thanks for your helping us. So help us in a way, God, that others can see that you helped us and they will give thanks to God for you helping us. Okay, this is a, a prayer that uh, we see in verse 11. All right, so these are the three so that in the passage. I put them in prayer form. I'll give you 30 seconds of silent prayer. You can also prepare your heart for uh, communion, and then we will remember the Lord's uh, death. Father, we thank you for your help in comforting us when we are suffering, doing your work. As Christ suffered, help us to expect your comfort, your grace, and your peace. I pray that you would help us as we suffer even to the point where we despair of life itself, that we would learn to rely on you. Thank you for the trials that you allow in us, the pressure and the pain that you allow around us and in us that you would help us to learn consistently uh, to rely on our God alone. You are the God of all comfort. And Father, you are a merciful, compassionate God. I pray that you would help us. And in helping us, that we could share with others how you've helped us so that others will give thanks for your helping us. And I pray that that would continue, that we would have others to share how you've helped them and that we would constantly be provoked to give thanks to you, our wonderful God, who comes alongside us in our suffering and in our pain and our pressure, our affliction. You're always near us. Thank you for Christ. Help us as we remember him now, that you would be pleased in our remembrance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.